Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, when I was a young child, uh, a teacher told me that I was really, really smart. She said that like it was a good thing, so I started working at getting smarter, or at least at getting to know more things. And it seemed to go pretty well for me because I made some good grades and the teacher just kept piling on the compliments and, and giving me privileges. I found out a few years later that my classmates had a number of words for that situation, the kindest of which was nerd. And they didn't say that like it was a good thing. That's what they called all of us who liked to learn, especially those of us who preferred math and science. It didn't help any when I joined math club. Sorry, Jay. And when I joined science club, it didn't get any better. You did, not even you did that, okay? It's just a good thing they didn't have a chess club at my school, you know what I'm saying? Uh, in one of those science classes that I enjoyed so very much, I was acquainted with a principle called the law of cause and effect. Now, you're familiar with it too, but because I learned about it in a science class and talked about it to other people with great excitement, I'm a nerd, but we all get it. Anything that happens in this universe of ours has a cause. We may not be able to see it. We may not know what that cause is. We may not have been around when it happened. We may choose not to believe in it. But anything that takes place in this world of ours had a prior cause. Now, the effect may become the cause of another effect, which may become the cause of another effect, in which case we have a chain reaction. But it all comes from this principle that we're familiar with called the law of cause and effect. We saw a few of them in the video just moments ago. With the exception of last week, when Pastor Scott Thompson from uh, Restoration Church was here speaking to us, we've been learning about worship for several weeks. We've learned that worship isn't about us or for us. It's about God and by us. Worship, then, isn't what we get out of a church service, but what we put into it. We also learned about the foundation of worship. The foundation on which true worship is laid is the knowledge of this one fact. Yahweh is God. There is no other. Uh, we also learned that worship isn't private. It can be deeply personal, but it is not private. It is something that we do together. Uh, we do it together on a regular basis because we know who God is, we know what God is like, and we know who we are in relationship to him. Then I taught one more thing. It was kind of uh, stretching out there a little bit after I dared to challenge the notion that worship and and recreation that's done with a quick thanks God are not the same thing. I ran and hid for two weeks and enjoyed a week of vacation last week. Okay, so back to worshiping on your boats. Um, today, I want to take a look at the law of cause and effect in the spiritual realm, specifically in the realm of worship. Remember that worship is just about anything that we do together as a way of displaying, first, our knowledge of God, and secondly, our love for God. Worship is that collection of activities that we do together because of our knowledge of God and because of our love for God. And get this, worship then becomes a cause. Now, it's not a cause in the sense of things that, uh, say, people get all riled up about and then do nothing about other than click like on Facebook. You know what I'm talking about? 
Uh, I did some informal research this week, surveyed all of my Facebook friends to list two or three of the causes that they're most passionate about in this life. I came up with a list from you all of about 27 causes that really turn your crank and spur you on to action. I had a follow-up question. It was this. What are, ten causes, what are causes that you're going to do absolutely nothing about? And I got a list of 10 causes that you absolutely could care nothing about, couldn't care less about. Here's what's strange. Several of you mentioned, I'm not going to do anything about kindness or protection to animals. <laughs> I don't know if that's just a function of living in Idaho, but... Um, <laughs> Nobody cares about the suffering pets, apparently, among my friends. Shame on you. Uh, I called them causes, but if you're not willing to do anything about them, there's not going to be any effect, so I don't know whether we can rightly call that a cause. That's not what, what I'm talking about when I say worship is a cause. Worship is a cause. Put another way, when we worship, that is not the end of the story. When we worship... Something happens, actually several somethings, and and that's how I want to spend sermon time today, is talking about just a a few things that happen as a result of us worshiping. Uh, We've been studying those kinds of things for the last few weeks, but this morning I'm going to teach for a little bit, and like we have for the last couple of weeks, we're going to then stop all the talking about worship, and we're going to get around actually doing it. We'll worship God by singing praises, by giving to support his work, and by praying. So uh, let's talk about this morning cause and effect in the spiritual realm, specifically as it relates to worship. I, I said a number of times throughout this series that worship is not about us. However, though it is not about us, it still produces some effects or benefits in our lives. It's first and foremost about God receiving public attention for how good he is. It's about God receiving pleasure from just hearing his children make over him. But there are some benefits to us in the equation as well. So if worship's a cause, what are the effects? What are the benefits that come from it? First, worship has a a couple of effects upon God, but then it also has some, some effects upon us. So let's handle them in that order. A couple of effects of worship upon the heart of God. When we worship, first of all, God is made to look good. God is made to look good. Put another way, here's the Bible language for it. When we worship, the glory of God is revealed. Now, as soon as I start talking church language, there's this glaze that goes over your eyes, like you're waiting till I start talking normal talk again. So I'm going to go right back to saying, instead of the glory of God is revealed, that when we worship, God is made to look good. Now, I have to tell you what this is and what it isn't. And Laura, I'm sorry, but I'm going to use a Laura example. When we first started dating, um, I was quite taken with the girl, uh, was convinced that she was very beautiful. I'm still convinced of that. And so, I don't know, we'd been dating just a few weeks. And because I'm a man, I was trying to say something nice, but it didn't come out that way. Okay, guys, know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you don't, ask your wife. She'll point out several of them, okay? What I said was, now, what I was trying to say was, you are so beautiful that you don't even need to wear makeup. (laughs) Probably shouldn't have tried to say that. What I said was, 
why do you wear so much makeup? <laughs> and uh, um, you know how when it's out there and you, I mean, as soon as you said it, you heard it, but you can't get the words back? It was one of those situations. Yeah, but my wife, being quick, said, well, hey, if the barn needs painting, paint the barn. <laughs> and... Uh, um, it seems that Laura and I had two very different opinions of her beauty. I thought, just naturally gorgeous, and she thought, oh, there's some things that need to be covered up, highlighted, and made to look differently than they would appear in their natural state. I still disagree, baby. I think you're absolutely beautiful. When we worship God, when we worship God and we say that we are making God look good, it's not that we're covering up all of God's faults or ignoring them. It's not that we're making up some nice things to say about God so that we can overcome all the bad PR that he gets in this world. It's not at all a if the barn needs painting, paint the barn kind of situation. Instead, what this worship thing really is, is us simply reflecting back to God his beauty and his love and his goodness. We get to see God like he really is and when we recognize that, we then just kind of turn on the reflectors and push the knowledge of that back toward God and toward the people who are around us. Worship is primarily directed toward God, but it's done in a crowd. It's done in the presence of many people. Why? So that all this good stuff that God is, that he has shown to us, that we then lift back and push in his direction, gets noticed by the people who are around us and they begin to see God as worthy of praise and worship too. When we worship, God's made to look good. Uh, you know, there's something else that makes God look good. If you just open your eyes and drive around in this world of ours, this created order, it's spectacular. Uh, I don't know if you guys have, have lost sight of it, those of you who've lived here for a lifetime, but that Lewiston Hill is an absolutely gorgeous thing. If you, most people, most people talk about how beautiful sunsets are because they never get up early enough to see sunrises, right? Right? And while there's some great sunsets out that direction over that hill, if you get up while it's still black out and you watch the sun come up and begin to cast its, first its shadows and then its lights all across that hill, it is spectacularly beautiful. I don't know if, uh, if the beauty of the rivers is lost on you if you've lived here for decades. Just drive down there some evening and turn off the ignition and roll down the window and close your eyes. There's music. It's spectacularly beautiful. This created world that God has made puts a little bit of his glory on display, but hear me, it doesn't do it well enough. In the opinion of God, his very best work out there, good as it is, doesn't get the job done of revealing how beautiful he is. Therefore, he has given human beings voices. The ability to speak, the ability to sing. He's given us bodies that bend, that we might kneel or clap our hands or raise them in praise to him. In the opinion of God, though the Lewiston Hill and the confluence of these two rivers points his direction, it doesn't do it adequately. And so he has outfitted human beings with the ability to make the glory of God known.
You look through the Old Testament and you will find that there was this guy who lived out in the hills and the rivers, David, and he wrote an awful lot about how the beautiful things out there point in God's direction. But then he put all the rest of his effort and of his thoughts and, and, and he began writing about the goodness of God and, and calling upon God for help. And David became this songwriter that just spent a lot of the rest of his life trying to make the glory of God accessible and understandable to the people around him. And he used this phrase, get this, magnify the Lord with me. See, that's something that we can do that the created order cannot. Because when you get up tomorrow, the Lewiston Hill's gonna look, well, like it did today. Beautiful, but look like it did today. Tomorrow, three tomorrows, it'll look pretty much the same. It'll be green three days of the year, then back to brown, and pointing out the beauty of God. But we human beings can do something that the created order can, can never do. We can come together and begin to build the praises of God. And we get this opportunity to take that which is revealed in the created order around us, magnify it, and then we start to approach what God may really actually be like in all of his goodness and his beauty. You see, there's supposed to be a conspiracy among human beings to bring the goodness of God into the light and give it full voice so that the other human beings around us can finally begin to realize what kind of a good God this is that we serve. When we worship, God is made to look good. Listen to this, Psalm 86, beginning with verse 8. Psalmist writes, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. He's reflecting God's goodness back to him. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. Why? As a result of having heard the praises of those who already know him. They will bring glory to your name, and so his glory is shown off or revealed again, both to him and to other people of other nations. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God, again, with the reflecting of God's goodness back to him. Can you see the magnification of his praise as people are attracted and take it to foreign lands? Got a question for you this morning. What do you send God's direction what do you show to the world around you? What do you show to the people seated around you when you come into this place of worship? Do you put the goodness and beauty and the savage strength of God on display? Do you put your love for him on display? Or do you paint a different picture by your silence, stillness, and privacy? Based on your worship of God, what do other people think he's like? One of the things that happens when we worship is that God is made to look good. A second thing is this. God is made welcome among us. We kind of talk like God is almost atmospheric. Like, ah, God's everywhere. He's in nature. He's at the mall. He's at my house. He's here. And because of we, we talk about him as though he's merely the atmosphere, we live most of our lives acting like God isn't around at all. When we talk about worship, we talk about the presence of God in a specific way, like me right here with Samson. Okay? This is the idea of worship, is that it's two people who are together. Not the idea of Samson being in a foreign land and me saying, my thoughts are with you. 
What's better, Samson? Thoughts or somebody at your side? A friend who says, I'm thinking about you, or a friend who's on your sofa, right? Yeah. When we worship, God is made to feel welcome among us. Now I have to do a little bit of uh, nerdy Bible stuff for you, okay? If you look at Psalm chapter 22, verse 3, uh, you can read it in umpteen different translations of the Bible, and it kind of handles it different ways. It's one of those tricky passages where the original language is kind of tough for us to chew on. And if you read it in, uh, I want to say, King James Version, it will say, God, is, um, God inhabits the praises of his people. It's King James or New King James? If you uh, look at some of the other translations, virtually every other translation, the modern translations of the Bible will say he is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And in many of your copies of the scripture, there'll be a footnote there at the bottom that says, or inhabits. Well, that seems like two very different things, doesn't it? Because enthroned is this idea of this great king sitting upon this beautiful, gigantic, carved chair up on a dais, holding court and dressed in royal robes and, I don't know, about to pronounce judgment on something. That's how I always picture kings. And so if you read that, those translations that say enthroned upon the praises of Israel, all of a sudden we get this picture of, of God flexing. But there's another way of looking at, the, at those few words that were translated enthroned. And it's that God comes and sits down in. Kind of like when he comes over to your house or when I plop down next to Samson. I want to propose to you this morning that either way, the idea is that God shows up in some sort of personal, identifiable way instead of just the atmospheric God who's all around us. It's the God who is in person and comes and feels comfortable enough to just come into the house sit down, take a load off, and listen to you and me. Tell me what you want this morning. A God who's sort of there, or a God who's right here, or a God who sits on a throne, but at least I can see him and come before him. Whenever we worship, God is made to feel welcome among us. Question for you. Do you lack a sense of God's presence, of his close presence with you? How long has it been since you felt like God was close enough that you could see him, hear him, feel him? Worship is a cause, and the effect of worship is that God comes close and he stays a while. Please hear me. I'm not making an accusation. But if you lack a strong sense of God's presence or his closeness, why don't you ask yourself a question this morning and answer it with a ruthless honesty. When was the last time I truly gave myself over to God in worship instead of just going through the motions? It might end that dry spell of yours. Worship is a cause. It has some effects. It has two effects upon God. God's made to look good and God is made welcome among us, but it also has some effects upon us. And, and the first effect is this. Our hearts are prepared to hear from God. When we worship, our hearts get prepared to hear from God. A lot of Christian music either quotes or rephrases words from the Bible 
and then speaks them back to God in worship. Older hymns of the faith tended to rephrase the scripture in beautiful, poetic ways. So, particularly young people, don't tell me that hymns are dead and lifeless. They're not. You may just need to chew on them for a little while longer in order to understand what they're trying to communicate. Much of contemporary praise music tends to quote scripture verbatim. Just quote it, say it again and again until people get the point. But because it's quoting the scriptures word for word, don't tell me that contemporary praise music is shallow unless you're ready to call the scriptures themselves shallow as well. Contemporary praise music intends to make knowledge of God easily accessible. I think it accomplishes that well. But the word of God, whether quoted or rephrased, whenever we bring it into the conversation of our lives and of our faith, it will have a very definite effect upon our hearts. It will prepare our hearts to hear the voice of God when he speaks to us. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words, The rain and snow come down from the heavens, there's a cause, and stay on the ground to water the earth, there's an effect. They cause the grain to grow, producing or bringing an effect, seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Then Isaiah says, quoting God, It is the same with my word. I send it out. There's the cause, and it always produces fruit. Say always with me, always. It will accomplish all I want it to. That's an effect. It will prosper or be effective everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. There's an effect. The mountains and the hills will burst into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Poetic ways of saying that God's word has an effect upon our hearts and the world around us. When as an act of worship we read aloud or we sing God's word back to him and in the hearing of others, it begins to till the soil of our hearts and theirs so that it can produce some effect in there. And that effect is often twofold. Number one, joy. And number two, a sensitivity to the voice of God so that you can hear him when he speaks to you in the very near future. One of the effects that worship has upon our hearts is that our hearts are prepared to hear from God. A second one is this, that our hearts are reminded of him and of all the good things that he has done. You've noticed how music sticks, right? I mean, you hear a song and then it's just glued in there for a while. We remember songs, we repeat songs, even the ones that annoy us, even when we're trying to forget them. You ready? Here's one. Adults my age and older, help me out here. Younger people, just listen and be amazed, okay? Sing this commercial jingle with me. I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper, we're a pepper. Yep. Uh, Thank you, that was on television 35 years ago for one minute, okay? One minute commercial, 35 years ago, you still sing it, okay? How about this one? Diet Pepsi, one small calorie, now you see it. Yep, 30 years ago, right there, 32 actually, 32 years ago, you were singing that. Now I'm going to ruin your whole afternoon. You ready? 
It's a small world after all. Yeah. yeah. I know, you'll be singing it for three days. You'll be firebombing Pastor Cliff on Facebook, right? Get this, important music sticks in our hearts and minds too. And that is why we have written songs about God and songs about all that he has done for us. It's so that we will be frequently reminded of those things. When we worship God, and especially when we sing praise to him, we put ourselves in position to be reminded later of how good and loving and kind and powerful and wise God is. When we enter into praise today, we position ourselves to be reminded later of the goodness, the strength, the majesty, the love, the kindness, and the mercy of God. And that's a good thing because you're going to need some powerful reminders of those things later on in life. I don't know if you've noticed by watching the lives of other people, but it seems to indicate that there might be some hardship, some heartbreak, some pressures, and some difficulties that might come your way in the future. You know those things are coming. And when they do, your faith is going to be tested. You're going to need to remember what God has said and what God has done and who God is. And worship today puts you in the position to remember those things when you most need to remember them. Worship's a look backward in time at the actions and character of God. But it's also a look forward in time to when you're going to need that knowledge. Worship Him today so that you'll be ready with the knowledge of God and all that He is and all that He's done when the time comes. Worship, then, is an investment in your future. The third thing that happens to us, the third effect of the cause, worship, is that our joy is restored. Life's hard. You've noticed. It's uphill quite a lot of the way. It comes with painful and difficult times that make war against the joy that you keep trying to preserve. You know how it goes. You'll have this smooth stretch of life with some great blessings and great joy, and then all of a sudden, bam, you are blindsided by something that just completely derails the joy train. You crash emotionally, and your faith mm, wavers a little or a lot. One of the functions or effects of praise is to restore joy to the human heart. Listen to these words from a praise song that's found in the Bible. It starts out um, with a guy who's been hard hit and has lost his joy along with his confidence in God. Tom, why don't you come and read for us? You see, there's a joy that returns, isn't there, Millie? After hard, hard, unimaginably difficult and painful things, there is a joy that returns to the people of God. Many times it is ushered in by God's people moving past their feelings to the place of committed praise to him. Do you see how that worked in the passage that Tom read to us? The, the, the passage that he read were lyrics of a well-known worship song from a few thousand years ago. And in it, you can see the songwriter's gloom and doom mentality turn on the hinge of remembering God and what he had done. And it swings the direction of joy and of returning praise to God. That can happen in your life too. When you faithfully come to this place of worship, 
even dragging your feet, maybe dragging your heart too, you can know that you are in store for something good. Worship cannot magically make your difficulties disappear, but it can make your worries go away. You see the difference? You know the difference, don't you? While there's some difficulties that may remain after the conclusion of this service, even if we pray about them, your experience of those difficulties can change. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done. Then respond to that knowledge by throwing yourself into praise. Really engage with him at the levels of heart and soul and mind and strength. And while I'm on the subject, strength means your physicality. Uh, I know a little bit about Nazarene history. Nazarenes, historically speaking, have not been people who stood still while they worshipped. Uh, these days, the, the, old, the joke among pastors is you can tell when you're in a Nazarene church because they sing about lifting up holy hands with their hands at their side. They sing, stand up for Jesus while sitting down. <laughs> and go like this and for fear, I don't know, uh, self-consciousness or something. But the, the command that comes from both Old and New Testaments is to love on the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. It means don't just say something about the goodness of God. Do something about it. Now listen, um, I have a rather pronounced inability to get jiggy with it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can't move. It is all I can do to play a guitar and sing at the same time. I can't dance. I've tried. It hurts people. Um, but I can continue to clap on beat, and most of you cannot, so um, I'm feeling a lot better about myself. Um, what I'm saying is this, when it comes time to worship, um, understand that it's more than just some ideas, and it's more than a few ideas um, whispered God's direction, but God's picture of worship was of people who came and let what was in their hearts and their minds come boiling out of there in some sort of convincing fashion. You determine what that is. Remember who God is, do you? Do you remember what he has done? Then respond to that knowledge by throwing yourself into praise, even your physicality. And I think you might be amazed to see a renewed sense of perspective on life that restores the joy that was dislodged by you focusing on the hurt and the pain and the worries and the problems. Let's make God look good. Let's let him and us and the neighbors hear what we think of him. Let's give the people around us, friends, family, fellow worshipers, reason to believe that we really do trust God and that we really do love him passionately. Let's make him feel welcome in this place by building a palace of praise where he can settle in. Whether he takes the easy chair or the throne, I do not care. I just want him here with me. And let's prepare our hearts to hear from him all week long and remind one another and maybe ourselves because we need it of all the good things that God has done for us. Simply put, I think it's time we get our joy on today. You know? I mean, enough of the mad, mean, and complaining Christians, right? Enough of that. 
Listen, there is a joy that God promised to his people, but it comes to us when we focus on him and the good things that he has done. It will never come when we focus on how bad we've got it. It's time for the joy of God to be returned to the people of God, and it's ours for the taking. But not if you grasp at it. God gives it to you when you give him praise. Now let's shift gears and sing his praise in just a moment. Remember, worship's a cause. God and you and I are about to reap the effects. Worship team, why don't you come? And uh, everybody, let's watch this next video on the screen, and then let's stand and worship him together. <laughs>